Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Our focus text this morning will be verses 1 through 11. And if you would like to follow along, there is an outline in your bulletin as well as a page to take notes. I encourage you to take advantage of those as we consider this wonderful Word of God. Let us go before Him and hear, and as we are before Him, let's hear the reading of His Word, even in our hearts and in our ears today. This is the very Word of God written for you and for me today. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Indeed, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, beloved in Christ, as as Matthew has taught us many things about the arrival of the true King and Messiah... He revealed to us the grand reason for Christ's incarnation, even the reason that he was to bear the name Jesus. Kids, do you remember what that was? For Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And in order for this salvation to be accomplished, before he went to the cross, Jesus had to fulfill all righteousness, demonstrating complete and perfect obedience to God the Father. Approximately 20 year, 28 years after Herod tried to kill him, the time had come for Christ's formal earthly ministry to begin. Indeed, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And we've considered how John the Baptist preached this truth as he called the people to repent and baptized many who heard him in the Jordan River. 
And in doing so, what was he doing? He was preparing the people for the arrival of the king. But John wasn't fully ready for Jesus' arrival and, and what he would do, was he? Jesus traveled 80 miles to not only be with John and the people, but also to be baptized by John. And if you recall, John objected. He knew and and proclaimed to the people that Jesus is the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. And so why would he come and request John's baptism? In humility, John knew his own sin, and he knew that he needed to be baptized by Jesus. And yet Jesus told John to permit it for a very important reason, and that was that it was, fil- it was fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Remember that Jesus had to submit to all that God required of his people. He had to fully identify with those whose sins he was about to bear and pay for. And Jesus, being baptized by John, proclaimed to the people that he had come to be our substitute. And so after Jesus came up from the water, if you remember, gloriously, the the heavens were opened and the, the people witnessed the glorious and unique event of God anointing Jesus with the Spirit to be the Messiah empowering him for the work of his ministry, anointing Jesus to the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And so considering Christ's anointing and and his mission to fulfill all righteousness, what do we see here today? He is then led to face threefold temptation by Satan in the wilderness, right out the gate, And now that may be unexpected by some of you, but nonetheless, this is what was needed. It was necessary. It was critical for his mission. And we'll consider the ways in which that was true this morning. And let us also then look at the first temptation in verses 1 through 4, the second in 5 through 7, and the third in 8 through 11. So if you look with me at verse 1, we read there, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, notice that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark says in his gospel that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now, this wasn't done because Jesus at some point refused to go. No, rather, it strongly communicates divine necessity. It communicates divine necessity. See, that Jesus being led by the Spirit here parallels Israel being led by the Spirit in their 40-year testing in the wilderness. We see that in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 22. In fact, Israel's testing in the wilderness was a type and shadow of the temptation of Jesus. And we'll see several aspects of this in our passage this morning. And so as we consider Christ being tempted, keep in mind that God doesn't tempt anyone. James is clear about this in James 1.13. But he does test us by putting us 
in situations where we are tempted. And the same was true for Jesus as this was another piece of him identifying with us. And what was Satan's goal in these temptations? Well, as God the Father had just proclaimed his great approval of his beloved Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, he said. As that had just happened, Satan wanted that to come to a screeching halt. He wanted Jesus to fall and fail. Matthew says that before Jesus was tempted, he went through a time of preparation. Notice, look at verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. And so, beloved, the the 40 days and the 40 nights here correspond with the, the 40 years that Israel wandered. And such fasting and time span is also similar to Moses on Mount Sinai with the Lord in Exodus 34, verses 27 and 28. And we read there, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And notice verse 28. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, and he neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so we see these connections in the Scriptures. And after fasting for so long, Jesus, in his human nature, he was hungry. But why did Jesus prepare in this way? Why did he do this otherwise? What's the significance of his hunger? Jesus did so to show that he was truly a man. And also, since Adam fell by eating, Jesus, the second Adam, became hungry to face the same weakness when tempted. And in order to take advantage of his condition, this is exactly where Satan began, notice, in verse 3. We read there, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command these, that these stones become bread. Hear these words and know that, that Satan is the tempter, as well as the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who will tell you, go ahead, it's, it's not a big deal. It will feel good even, and God won't do anything. And then when you fall into sin, he immediately flips the script and says, what have you done? What have you done? You're done for. God will never forgive you for what you've done. And so as Satan issues the first and second temptations, notice that that in both, he first appeals to Christ's divine rights. He says, if you are the Son of God. In other words, if you are the Son of God, show me. Provide for yourself. He says, command that these stones become bread. Do you hear the hiss of the serpent here? Some may think, 
you know, what's the big deal, Pastor, if, if Jesus would have turned stones into bread? Sure, Jesus has the power to do it, beloved. But Satan was trying to subtly get Jesus to doubt his Father's goodness and provision. My friends, if Satan could just get Jesus to sin against God in, in, in one thought, through one craving, if he could just get Jesus to murmur once like Israel did against his Father, he could make him incapable of being the perfect sacrifice for his people's sins. But what was the outcome? Gloriously. Remember, this is the true Son of God. This is the anointed Messiah. This is the King. Jesus passed the test perfectly. Praise the Lord for that. Look at verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus responds by standing on the truth of God's Word. And this is essential to see and understand, beloved. Whereas uh, Satan tempted the first Adam to doubt and disbelieve God's Word in the garden, see how the second Adam resists the tempter with full confidence in the Word of God. Jesus here, when he quoted Scripture, quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And beginning in the context of verse 2, we read there, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And notice verse 3. So he humbled you allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Beloved, the word of God applied to his very situation. Jesus will never abandon his trust in God to provide. My friends, God's word is so profitable for us. Paul speaks to that. We, we, we see that in many places in the scriptures. God's word is so profitable for us, and the Spirit's work in and through the word is so strong in us by the grace of God, and therefore, we must meditate on it. We must study it in order to use it confidently in spiritual warfare. We need the Lord. And we need His Word. And we need to have confidence in His Word. Confidence like Christ has. And so as Jesus gave this response... Satan took another try. Notice in verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and 
In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Beloved, see the picture here. Satan took Jesus to the highest point on the, on the tip of the temple, the, the point where, where men would surely die if they fell from. And he, in essence, said, jump, Jesus, your angels will catch you. Here, Satan tempted Jesus to presume upon God's power. In these verses, see how Satan twisted Scripture into a means of temptation as he, as he quoted portions of Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 but used it in a way that is opposite of the original meaning. The big message of Psalm 91, beloved, is trusting God. And similar to the sin that Israel committed in the wilderness in Exodus 17, verse 7, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to replace trust by putting God to the test. But again, Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with that. And Jesus responds rightly with the correct use of Scripture, this time Deuteronomy 6.18. And in verse 7, we see that he says, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, Satan wanted a third try. We see that in 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Here the devil tempted Jesus to break the first commandment by giving worship, honor, and glory to another other than God alone. The devil wanted Jesus to worship the creature. And see how this temptation was so foolish. Because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. And, and, and Satan is subject to his sovereignty. There was nothing that Satan could give that didn't already and doesn't already belong to, the, to Jesus, to the Lord. We rejoice at the truth of Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. We also rejoice at Jesus' questions in Matthew 6, 20, uh, 16, 26. When he asks, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Beloved, Jesus wasn't willing to lose anything. He is the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And indeed, Christ's response was perfect as he was faithful to keep the first commandment and all of the Lord's commands, which Israel had broken so often. And then notice what he did. He commanded Satan to leave. Then Jesus said to him in verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. 
In Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, we read this. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take oaths in his name. And so, my friends, Jesus passed this test as well. He, he really conquered the strong men, and Satan o- obeyed his command and left him. But what happened when Satan left? Notice verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to them. And see the beauty of this. Jesus rightly refused to give in to temptation and and to call the angels to act in the second temptation. And now God the Father sends them to care for his beloved and weary son. And indeed, God does this for all his beloved children as well. In regards to the ministry of angels, the writer to the Hebrews asks in Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And indeed, beloved, they are as a part of God's love and bountiful care. And so, as you consider this passage this morning, Jesus gives you the pattern by which you must resist temptation here. As Satan tempts us to doubt God's word, his goodness, and his promises to us, we are called to follow Christ's pattern and stand by faith on the truth of God's word. It is the sword of the Spirit that we must faithfully use in spiritual battle. But we also need to know that because of Christ's victory, because of the victory that he has accomplished, He effectively leads us in resisting sin and temptation. And praise Him for that. Because of the work of Christ for you, He effectively leads you in this way. Never forget Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For in that He Himself has suffered, being tempted... He is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus went through such suffering, such temptation for you and for me, in order that he could truly and in every way give us aid, which he does, praise the Lord. But I also want you to know and to consider that the significance of this passage is far more than those things. There is also great theological significance in what was about to happen here. See that Jesus is the divinely declared, the the tested and the true Son of God and, and the true Messiah of His people, who here did even more to fulfill all righteousness. And also see that this was Jesus' first post-anointing encounter with the snake. Jesus is the foretold seed of the woman, the foretold serpent head crusher that we're told of in Genesis 
And he was crushing the head of the serpent, beginning in the wilderness and ending in his death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God. And we even see his work through the proclamation of the gospel. But also in these temptations, Jesus would be faced with doing what the first Adam didn't. Carrying out perfect obedience when confronted by such temptation. It was all part of God's restorative, recreating work as Jesus was going back to the beginning to undo what Adam had done and do what Adam failed to do. All of these glorious connections, all of these necessary connections, these necessary things that Jesus did, not only in many ways as we've seen thus far in Matthew to fulfill prophecy, but indeed here we see that he is fulfilling these such things. As he is the true Messiah, the true Son of God, as he is the Anointed One, as he is the second Adam, accomplishing all that the first did not. Praise God for his word. And may your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and his work for you be deepened and grow even by this very word this morning. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful work of Christ for us. We praise you, O Lord Jesus, for your perfection, for your sinlessness. Indeed, that you did all that was required of you. We praise you, O God, and we pray that you would bless the truths about yourself and show us more of yourself in the Scriptures but also encourage us and grow us in these ways in which we need to be obedient to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.